Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you guys tonight? So on Sunday morning, the first service is smaller and the second service is bigger. On Christmas Eve, the first service is bigger and the second service is smaller. I wonder why that is. See, the early people just get up, stay up late, too. I think that's what it is. I don't know. Hey, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to flip back to Matthew chapter 1 at some point, and then we will come back to Luke. Get where I need to be. Hey, thanks for coming. If you're visiting us for the first time, we are glad you are with us. You know, as a, as a pastor, every Christmas we teach or preach a Christmas message. And it's the same topic. We, we all know the story of Christmas. So you always wonder, well, how am I going to teach it this year? I can't teach it the same way I taught it last year. And, and you, over the years, I've gone through different ways. I've taught it from Mary's perspective and from Joseph's perspective and, you know, from the shepherd's perspective and from a prophetic perspective. And I've taught all these different perspectives. And, and as I was putting it together this year, the Lord just kind of said, you know, keep it simple. It's, it's my word. I wrote it. Teach it to them the way that I wrote it so that they understand the story in the, in the text that it was written. So that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're going to walk through uh, the Christmas story together. I won't have as much commentary as I usually have. We'll cover a lot of verses, but I think you'll be blessed in doing this. So if you'll pick up with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Mary, she's an ordinary girl from Nazareth. She's engaged to be married to an ordinary man named Joseph. They have not been intimate, as the scripture clearly point out, and will point out in greater detail in the future. In that culture, when a couple was engaged, they were legally married, but they had not physically consummated their marriage. During the time of their engagement, their, their, their interaction was somewhat limited. He was about going about his life, she was going about her life, but one of the things the future husband, or you could even say the current husband, one of the things he was charged with is preparing a house for his bride or a home for his bride to live in. So he would go back to his father's house, he would either on his father's property or many times it was off of his father's house, he would build a room so that when they were finally living together, they had a place to go. And when the father approved, he would begin a procession and they would go through the town and they would go to get his bride and they would bring her back to the place where they were going to live. And that would kick off what we know of as a Hebrew or a Jewish seven-day wedding feast. So that was their seven-day wedding feast. Might sound something like the wedding supper of the lamb because that's, where, that's exactly what it's modeled after. But can you imagine Mary's surprise when an angel showed up at her door or an angel showed up wherever she was? And the angel says to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Why is there an angel greeting me, she must wonder. It says she was troubled at this saying. I wonder what she's considering. Why am I highly favored? I'm, I'm just an ordinary person. Why, why is an angel meeting with me? I don't understand this. What do you want, Gabriel? Because that was his name. Look there in verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. It considered what manner or what kind of greeting this was, is this? What kind of greeting is this? 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his king, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It says she was afraid when the angel came in. Well, I can imagine why. This is a young girl. She's probably somewhere between the age of 14 and 18. And Gabriel just dumped a whole lot of information on Mary about the future, the very near future in her case. What did he say to her? He said, Mary, you're going to have a baby, but this will not be just any old ordinary baby. In fact, he's going to be called the son of the most high, but that's not all. He will have the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over all of Israel, all the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. How many ladies right now, if an angel showed up before you and told you this, would be scratching your head going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Are you out of your mind? Are you really an angel or is this Halloween? What's going on here? You've got to be wondering. As Mary thinks about this, she starts to ponder it. She has a question, and her question is a valid one. She says, how can I have a baby if I've never been with a man? She understands the biology involved. She gets it. Look what she says in verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, I don't believe her question is a question of unbelief. I think it's an expression of her faith. You see, she believed the promise, but she didn't understand the process. How could a virgin give birth to a child? Maybe she's thinking, I took biology. I know how I have. I, I live in an area where we farm for a living. I know where babies come from. I know what happens. And I haven't done that. So the process here doesn't compute in my mind. Sometimes when God calls you to something, the process won't compute in your mind. Sometimes the way he's going to accomplish something won't be the way that you think it will be. It won't be logical. It won't even be a way that you can possibly even fathom or understand. Look at verse 45, or I'm sorry, 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. In other words, like the angel said, good question, Mary. I can understand your concern. But here's what I want you to know. Joseph's not going to be the father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in a supernatural way. After all, you're giving birth to the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. He's going to be a king. And for a little encouragement, just so you know it's true, your relative, Elizabeth, you know the one that couldn't have children all these years? Well, she's now six months pregnant. Just so you can go check that out for yourself. Oh, and one last thing, Mary. Consider the source. With God, nothing will be impossible. The source is coming from the Lord. Nothing will be impossible. Please remember that when you are walking with God in the will of God, nothing is impossible, even when it seems impossible. Even when it doesn't seem logical, even when you can't wrap your mind around something, even when you don't understand it and it makes no sense, with God all things are possible as long as it's the will of God. This doesn't mean that you can do anything you want because you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that you can say, well, God, I want to jump off this rock and see if I can fly. With God, all things are possible. 
you end up crashing to your death, probably, depending on how high the rock is. Try it off a table first, I would suggest. <laughs> but what you'll find out is that's testing God. That's saying, God, I want you to do this. Prove to this to me. And God says, I don't have anything to prove to you. If I wanted you to fly, I would have given you wings. If I wanted you to fly right now, you'd fly. But I don't want you to fly, so you're not going to fly. When we walk with God, don't forget that nothing is impossible for him. So here's Mary, a young girl, in the presence of Gabriel the angel, scratching her head. She's got a decision to make. She could say, no, thank you, Gabe. Been nice meeting you. Here's the door. See you later. Nice knowing you. Have at it. And I'm sure she considered the cost. Wait a minute, Gabriel. You're saying that I'm going to have a baby, and it's not going to be with my husband, Joseph. Matter of fact, he's not going to father the child. That means nobody's going to believe the story. How am I going to tell my family? How am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to tell Joseph? He's not going to believe that I talked to an angel, and all of a sudden that I'm pregnant by an angel. He's not going to buy that story. Guys, would you buy that story? No way. I wouldn't buy it for one second. Wait a minute. I'll embarrass my whole family with this pregnancy. How can I support a baby without a husband? All these questions, logical, good, probably questions. I got to believe they're running through her mind as she's considering this. What am I going to do? What does this really mean? They all make sense. But then she remembers, wait a minute. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And I love, I absolutely love Mary's response. Look there at verse 38. Then Mary said, it's not underlined in your Bible, underline it. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response reveals her humility and her honesty before God. She completely surrenders herself to God's will. Completely. I'm your maidservant, no matter what the cost is. She puts her marriage on the line, her reputation on the line, her family relationships on the line. She completely surrenders to the Lord. Whatever your word is, Lord. In other words, I am your servant. I will, I will endure whatever your word is. But people might make fun of you, Mary. I don't care. I want to be a faithful servant. But Joseph might disown you, Mary. He might not want to marry you. I don't care. I want to be a faithful servant to the Lord. But it might not look good. The, fa- the, the neighbors are going to talk about you, Mary. I don't care. I want to be a faithful servant of the Lord. But you might lose your job, Mary. I don't care. All I will care about is I want to be found as a faithful servant of the Lord. Oh, if we could only have a heart like that. Oh, if that could be us, such faithful servants. You see, so often we get caught up and what we want and not his will. We get caught up in what we see. We focus on details instead of having faith. We find problems and solutions when we should be praising and worshiping the one who's in charge of all things. How many times have you laid awake worrying about a problem you can't even, you don't even have the power to solve instead of worshiping the one that does and saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I can't control this, but yet we'll lay awake at night. We'll worry about stuff. I I can't even control what's happening in somebody else's life, but we'll wonder and we'll worry. Maybe it's your own life. Maybe you can't control what's happening in your own life, but yet you'll lay there bother. Think of Mary's response. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. If we could only say that. You see, that's easy to say when things are going good, isn't it? Oh, we're blessed. Things are great. Yeah, Lord, praise the Lord. I just won the lottery. Y'all, praise to Jesus. What about when we're sick? What about when we're in a relationship that's struggling? What about when we're financially troubled? What about our health is falling apart? Whatever it might be. 
Can we still say those same words? Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I want to be found as a faithful servant. Oh, I hope that we can. Mary would go down to visit her relative Elizabeth, and she would confirm Gabriel's message. She would find that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And she would also have to tell Joseph about what's going on, about her baby. I wonder how the conversation went. I wonder whether they had it over dinner. I wonder if they had it in passing. I wonder where they were, what was said. Can you imagine this, ladies and guys? Hey, Joe, something I need to talk to you about. Oh, no, Mary, let me tell you, it's going great. We're building the house. I got the, I got the walls up, the room. It's going to be, no, Joe, I really need to talk to you. No, I'm, I'm working on our house. It's going to be fantastic. No, Joe, stop. I need to talk to you. All right, all right, go ahead. What's wrong? I'm pregnant. You're what? You're, why would you do this to me, Mary? No, no, you don't understand. An angel Gabriel came to me, and he told me that I was pregnant by the Lord. Seriously. Really? You want me to buy that? You think that's, you think that's even, come on. I, I, there's no... Guys, would you buy it? Would you go, okay, yeah, sure thing, honey. What did the Lord tell you to do next? Or would you go, no way. <laughs> Listen, I know biology too. I know how this happens. I'm on the same farm that you are. I watch it. You'd be, you, you'd be devastated. You'd be, wow. Naturally, Joseph was a little taken back. In fact, the scripture tells us he didn't even want to be married to her. Matthew's gospel tells us that Joseph was a just man, but he didn't want to make a public example of her. He wanted to put her away secretly. Turn with me, if you would, just a few books to the left, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Here's Joseph. Been broke the news. Mary breaks the news to him. Not so sure he's buying it, but he probably wants to buy it because he probably cares about her. He's thinking about it. What do I do? You see, on the one extreme, he could have had her stoned for committing adultery because everyone else would believe she committed adultery too. On the other extreme, he says, I'm going to put her away secretly, quietly. I just, let's just make this whole thing go away. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, but while he, that's Joseph, while he thought about these things, I bet he did. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, and he did not know her, that means intimately, sexually, he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Yep, it would take an angel's appearance for me to buy that story too. It would have. I mean, honestly, to be perfectly honest, no, there's not a guy in his right mind that would go, yeah, honey, that's, I understand how spiritual you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. He'd say, no way, unless an angel came to you and said, you know what, she's telling the truth. Okay, I'm with you. Yes, sir, Gabriel, if, it, if in fact it was Gabriel, I got it. Let's, all right, I'm, I'm here. Now turn back with me to Luke chapter 2. Joseph has been told, Mary has been told, they're growing uh, together. She is growing physically as her pregnancy progresses. 
As we come to Luke chapter 2, she's about eight to nine months, probably closer to nine months pregnant, real close to giving birth. She's gone to see Elizabeth, and she's told Joseph about their problem. And by now, there's no doubt that she's pregnant. Her belly is sticking out. Everyone sees it. The whole town knows this happened before they were actually married, before the marriage ceremony actually took place. You know what happens in small towns? People talk about it. I'm sure they were talking about it. They're probably assuming the baby is Joseph's child, but I'm sure they're talking. And maybe it was Christian gossip. You know how we do Christian gossip? Hey, you need to pray for Mary and Joseph. Why? Because Mary's pregnant. Oh, how'd that happen? Oh, you know how that happened. Joseph, he couldn't wait till the wedding. Just pray for them, okay? Okay, I'll pray for them. So that's how we do Christian gossip. We, do, we disguise it as prayer requests. You guys don't do that. Other places. We would never do such a thing. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. A Roman census was taken every 14 years for both military and tax purposes. They got to get their money and their men to fight. And each Jewish male had to return to the city of his father's There he would record his name, his occupation, the property that he owned, and his family information. Here's the cool thing. Augustus Caesar is ruling Rome, but God is the one in charge. God's the one really in charge. God will use Caesar's decree to move Mary and Joseph about 70 to 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he do this? Because the prophet Micah in the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would need to be born in Bethlehem. Now, do you know how hard it would be to get a nine-month, a woman who's nine months pregnant on a donkey to walk 80 miles to get to Bethlehem? How many ladies go, yeah, that sounds like a good trip. I really, I'm really in for that. You know how hard it would be for the guy? I mean, can you imagine if she's uncomfortable, he's uncomfortable, if she's complaining, it's at him. Why are we going? Couldn't, couldn't we just send in our ballot by mail? I'm sure there's going back and forth on this. They were human just like the rest of us. But God says, I got to get them to Bethlehem and the baby's got to be born in Bethlehem because that's just one of the over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. I got to get them to Bethlehem. I got to get them there. I'm always amazed at how God can use people who are even rejecting of him to still accomplish his will. Think about that. Caesar Augustus thought of himself as God. He, he, you had to bow and worship Caesar, yet God is the one facilitating his decree. Every 14 years, today's going to be the day, and Mary and Joseph are going to go, and they're going to get there. And you guys know the story. The baby's going to be born right there in Bethlehem, just like they said it would uh, some 400 and some years, 500 years beforehand. I'm always amazed at the precise fulfillment of the prophecies in God's word. That he can even take an unbelieving pagan ruler and accomplish his purposes. So consider that for a moment. If you're someone and you say, you know what, I don't, I'm not a believer in God's word. I'm not a Christian. That's okay. That's your choice. I mean, we have that choice. But consider that. He could still be using you to accomplish his purpose. You don't have as much control over your life as you really think you do. Here's Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. He's declaring a census. Why? Because God had to move 
Mary and Joseph to a certain spot at a certain time. Now, was that the only thing God was doing? Not at all. God probably had literally hundreds or thousands of things that he was doing at that very same time. He's sovereign. He's working in that way. But I'm always amazed at how it happens. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. David, King David was born in Bethlehem, if you weren't aware, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. This must have been a very trying journey for Mary. But I love the fact that she's faithful to her word and she followed her husband. She had told the angel Gabriel and essentially told the Lord, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. Perhaps we would do well to commit our life to Christ in the same manner. Let it be to me, Lord, according to your word. Behold, Lord, here I am, your faithful servant. Let, me, let my life, let my life be according to your word. If he can accomplish his will with you rejecting him, wouldn't it be a better place to let him accomplish his will with you accepting him? You, you get the blessings of the promises of God, the eternal perspective. You get all the things with it, and he's going to use you either way. He, he does. That's the way that he works. Let's continue on. Look at verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in our minds, growing up in here in the United States of America, we read this and we think of the nativity scene. There's one right there, a cute little stable, and the angel and the, and the animals all have smiles on their faces, and, and everything's just peachy keen in that little stable life. We think of a red barn on a farm on a hillside. Can I tell you that's not what it looked like? Having been to Israel a couple of times, it's a very rocky land. There are many caves dug into the rocks. This stable that we have in our minds is probably more like a stone cave that's dug out of the rock. They would actually carve into the rock. They could huddle their animals in there at night. And they would be protected from the elements or from the outside from predators. When you have a whole bunch of animals in one small place, what do you think it smells like? Ooh, not very good. It doesn't smell like the Christmas tree. The, stable, the, the manger scene sits under. It probably smells like animals, like being on a farm. And there he's laid into a manger. A manger was a feeding trough. It was probably made of stone. They usually are. They're still in Israel. You, can, you, you see them all over the place. They're stone-carved feeding troughs. Why stone instead of wood? Because wood wears out. Stone ones last forever. You can carve, they're, they're there. You, I, I've seen many of them. He's laid in a feeding trough, probably on a bed of hay. It probably smelled bad, probably not very good at all. How sanitary do you think it was? Any ladies go, yeah, it's like a good place to give birth. No, no, of course not. There in the lowly town of Bethlehem, the Savior of the world entered the world, born into the world in a cave, wrapped in swaddling clothes. They were also considered grave clothes. It's what they would wrap around a body to embalm it. But then again, he was born to die, wasn't he? It's fitting that he's wrapped in grave clothes upon his birth. And he's laid down in a feeding trough. Do you know what amazes me most about the story? The humility in which our Lord came into the world. The humility. No palace, no guards, no earthly pomp and circumstance, no earthly celebration for the religious leaders. I'm sure Mary wondered, really God? In a cave 
in a hole, not even a hotel room you could get me? Get Gabriel back down here. I want to talk to him. I'm sure she wasn't happy about this. I've watched four kids being born. It's not something you want to do in a stable. But as this is going on, the arrival of the newborn king is being declared somewhere. Look at verse 8 with me. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now Bethlehem is not very far from Jerusalem, and these shepherds would stay in the field all day and all night watching their sheep. Some people have speculated these shepherds were watching the sheep that would be owned by the temple that they would sell at the temple that people could sacrifice. That could be true, that may not be true. Either way, these are people who lived away from their family. They were men or young boys or whoever they were, gathering out in the field, hanging out with sheep all day, all night. That's what they were doing. And if you were a shepherd in that day, you were considered to be unclean. You were not even allowed to enter the temple. But notice, who is it that the birth of our Savior is announced to first? Those who would be considered unclean. Oh, I like that. I like that. They would be considered unclean, yet they're the ones hearing about the birth of Christ. They didn't announce it at the religious leader's home. They didn't go to Caiaphas' house. They didn't go to the seminaries in Jerusalem and get the up-and-coming rabbis that really need to hear this story. It goes to the common people, the shepherds, just the ones hanging out in the field. The unclean, the common. Now here's how my mind works with this. I picture these shepherds. In my mind, they're sitting on a rock. I don't know how many there were. I don't know how big the rock was, but this is how it works in my mind. There's a couple of guys sitting around on a rock looking, going, you know, I wonder if it's going to be cold tonight. Yeah, I think it's going to be cold. Look at the stars. Yeah, we see the stars all the time. Nothing new happened. We've been doing this. How, how long have we been doing this? We've been doing this forever. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, an angel shows up. Now, I don't know if this is like an angel with wings and all that, or it's just like an ordinary person. I don't know what it is, but we know something. We know that he was shining. We know that he's shown. We, we, we see this happening here. We see it unfolding. And the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Angels are always saying that. Do you know why? Everyone's afraid when they see one. Now, I've never seen an angel. I don't know. But I'm not going to be afraid when I see... No, I'm just kidding. I bet we'd all be afraid if we actually saw a real angel. You know? I mean, I don't... This, everybody in... Almost everybody... Not everybody, but almost everybody in Scripture, they have to say, hey, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't worship me. You know, we see it all the time because people are going, I don't know what to do with this. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. He says, don't fear. What did the angel say? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people all people you know that word all you look it up in the greek it means all every single person all people great great i can imagine a shepherd that's really cool what's this good news tell me more you got me this is he says there's born to you this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord not only was the savior born for the shepherds and only he declaring this to them he said which will be for all people, which means that this Savior that's born in Bethlehem was for you. 
It was for me. For all people. We're all. Are you an all? I'm an all. We're an all. We're all people. Well, i got to believe the shepherds go, well, how do we know what he's going to look like? Tell us more about this. Is he sitting on a throne? No. Is he in a castle? No. Is there a celebration going on? Is there a party going on? Not here on earth. Well, how are we going to find him? You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Oh, you're pulling my leg. The Savior of the world's not going to come into the world laying in a manger and wrapped in grave clothes. That doesn't make any sense. You can just see them. My mind's, they're scratching their heads going, oh, geez, are you awake? Are we sleeping? What's going on here? And out of nowhere, look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I don't know how many a multitude is, but it's a lot. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. What a sight this must have been. Unbelievable. I'm not sure how many were there. Perhaps it was the number of stars in the sky. I don't know, but he's, there, he's writing, Luke's writing under the direction of Paul here. It was a multitude, a lot. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. Just imagine these shepherds as the angels. There they go. Whoa, what just happened? That the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. In other words, we need to go to look, take a look at this, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things things and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to him these shepherds they're good examples for us to imitate today how so Rob they received by faith the message that God had sent them and responded immediately in obedience the angels declared this is where the Messiah is they said go we'll go they are right there responding in obedience. Many times we hear a message from God. Now you might not get an angel or a heavenly host of angels, but you might hear the Lord speak to you. He might knock on your heart. And your response, not today, Lord. I'm not really interested. Or perhaps it's hindered. There's a lack of humility there. I, I don't need that. After finding the baby, notice what they did. They reported the good news to the others glorifying and praising God. They took the place of the angels. God is born as a baby in Christ on this earth. The angels are rejoicing. This has got to blow their mind. They're watching this happen. The shepherds, why, why do we have to go tell the shepherds? Can't we go tell the important people in the world? No, go tell the shepherds. Okay, that's where we'll go. And the shepherds, now they're the ones carrying the message of the Messiah to the rest of the world. That's not how I would have started the church movement. I would have picked something much more, I would have built a brand, started advertising, get on Twitter and Facebook and made everyone aware of it. I mean, there should have been a, a, a mass production of things, you know, not this way. The Lord doesn't do the things our way. He went to the unclean people who needed a savior. He went to the people whose lives probably weren't that good, whose lives were probably pretty difficult, whose, who didn't have necessarily have wives. They were living out in the fields. Life wasn't good for them. And after finding the baby, they reported the news, glorifying and praising God. Then, what does it say they did? They humbly returned. They went back to their duties. 
new men going back to the same old job. I like that. They came, they saw the Messiah, they believed, and what did they do? What happened to them? Nothing. They went back to work. But what did they do back at work? They took what they saw, what had touched their life, and they began telling everybody about it. That's the way the gospel spread. That's the way Jesus said, you're going to spread the gospel through your own interaction with it. It's going to touch you, and then you're going to share it with other people. We're not going to do it some other way. As we close out this message, there seems to be one theme that has drawn my attention this year. And it's the humility involved in the whole situation. In humility, Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Would you be willing to say such a thing? In humility, Jesus came into the world. This is not how you would expect a king to be born. It was the humble shepherds to which the angels proclaimed Christ's birth. And here's the catch. Only in humility can you come to the Lord and accept his free gift of salvation. It's only pride that a person, in pride, that a person will harden their heart and say, I don't need that. You might say, I don't want that, and that's your choice. But to say, I don't need that, you need it. You might say, I don't need God. I don't need forgiveness of my sins. I don't believe in that. I don't need any help. Let me ask you a question. How bad does life have to get before you need help? How bad does your marriage have to get before you need help? How bad does your, your relationship, how bad does your, your addiction have to get? How far are you going to let it take you before you say, I need help? How far are you willing to go before someone says, I need help, Lord, I need you, and I need you now? You know, we always think of people coming to Christ at this debased part of their life where their life is falling apart they're strung out on drugs somewhere or they're in jail and, and certainly th that's some place that people come to Christ very very often that's the case but you know what when I came to Christ my life wasn't a mess I had a good career I was making good money I had a house I had a family everything seemed to be fine but I knew who I was on the inside I knew where my mind went when no one was with me I knew what I thought of Everybody outside would look and say, oh, you got a great life. Everything's wonderful. But I knew who I was. I didn't like who I was. I hadn't robbed a bank. I hadn't used drugs. I hadn't cheated on my wife. I hadn't done any of those things. But I knew I was a sinner inside, and I was carrying guilt from my past with me. And I wanted to get rid of that guilt. It, it just kept eating at me. I had to come to the place where I said, Lord, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want. I believed in Jesus before that. I, I accepted Christ when I was 10. Walked, you know, left him in college and all the, did the whole worldly thing and did all that stuff. But it wasn't until my life, so I said the same thing Mary said in a different way. Lord, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want in my life. That moment, my life changed forever. That's when the, light, the changes began to un, unwind. And, and in that moment, I even made the comment, I don't know why I said it, well, I guess I do now. I said, Lord, I'll, do, I'll be whatever you want me to be. And I said, including be a pastor. That wasn't a plan for my life. I never grew up thinking I want to be a pastor. Never in my life did I want that. I had my career path on it. And I was achieving it. I was doing well. The Lord said, really, you'll do anything for me? Here's what I want you to do. And I said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a pastor. That's, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. But you know what? I would never go back to where I was. The Lord, the Lord rescued me out of that. I could have had that life. I could have said no thank you and continued on. And maybe it would have... Maybe I would have been where my friends are today and I will look at them. And you know what I see? Those that don't love the Lord don't know the Lord. Emptiness. 
I see divorce number two. I see kids that are growing up in difficult situations and circumstances. I look at my life and go, I wonder what would have been different. Then I say, I don't want to find out. Because I made the choice to follow the Lord. And for me, it meant being a pastor. It's not everyone's not going to be that, be that way for everybody. He might just want you, like the shepherds, to go back to work a different person and carry the gospel with you. Not everyone's going to be called into a ministry somewhere. But will you be willing to say, Lord, yeah, I need you. I need forgiveness for my sins. I need that in my life tonight.